This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the program. It's our Wednesday night edition of the program. The phone number, if you want to join the conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And a couple of things I want to get into tonight. <clears throat> Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene has reintroduced her articles of impeachment against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Let's see how they uh, how they uh, fare this time around. Um then we've got uh, Elon Musk. He was uh, in a forum with the New York Times and others, and uh, he said that the advertisers are trying to blackmail him, so they might as well go blank themselves. We'll get into that a little bit later. And Henry Kissinger has died. Now, I know some of you listening are going, who's Henry Kissinger? And the rest of you are going, get out. How old is he now? Yeah, he's 100 years old, Henry Kissinger, former Secretary of State. Um, Henry Kissinger was the last surviving member of President Nixon's cabinet, and he died at 100 years old. The uh, German-born statesman and scholar and U.S. military veteran died at his home in Connecticut, according to a statement from his uh, geopolitical consulting firm, Kissinger Associates. No cause of death was given, and uh, Kissinger was the only presidential appointee to serve contemporaneously as national security advisor and Secretary of State. And uh, he also won a, a Nobel Peace Prize for everything that he did in Vietnam, according to this article here in the New York Post. But we have a, a clip of Mr. Kissinger, and I want you to hear it. Great progress has been made, even in the talks. The only thing that is lacking is one decision in Hanoi to settle the remaining issues in terms that two weeks previously they had already agreed to. So we are not talking of an issue of principle that is totally unacceptable. We will not be blackmailed into an agreement. We will not be stampeded into an agreement. And if I may say so, we will not be charmed into an agreement until its conditions are right. Now, while serving in Nixon's administration and with uh, former President Gerald Ford, 
1969 and 1977, he negotiated a, uh, a deal with China that began a strategic alliance with China and initiated a policy of detente to engage with the Soviet Union during the height of the Cold War. He uh, was also a Nobel Peace Prize winner in 1973 for helping to end the U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War and led peace talks that same year between Israel and Arab states that brought the uh, Yom Kippur War to an end. So R.I.P. Henry Kissinger. Now, swinging it over to what's going on on Capitol Hill, uh, a couple of things coming out of there today. Uh, Speaker Mike Johnson today uh, discussing the alarming nature of the facts that are piling up regarding President Biden's impeachment inquiry. Listen to this. These are serious times, and this is a very serious matter. And I've, I've said many times over the last few years, because impeachment has been an issue that we've all become all too familiar with, that next to the declaration of war, you can make an argument that impeachment may be the heaviest power that Congress holds. Th- that, that constitutional responsibility lies with the House. We, we have a duty to pursue the facts where they lead. John Adams famously said, facts are stubborn things, and you heard a recitation of that here this morning. These facts are alarming. They're alarming to the American people. They are alarming to us. And so while we take no pleasure in, uh, in the proceedings here, we have a responsibility to do it. We're very proud of the work of these three chairmen that you've seen here, Chairman Comer and Jordan and Smith. They've done an exceptional job in uncovering the obvious corruption. And you've heard it here summarized this morning very succinctly. President Biden and the Biden family. We, we owe it to the American people to continue this process, but to do it, methodically and transparently. Now, you just heard Speaker Johnson refer to uh, Chairman Jordan. He's talking about Jim Jordan, chair of the House Judiciary Committee. And uh, Jordan's out there saying he wants to uh, subpoena Hunter Biden and get him in in uh, in a session of of testimony. But the uh, impeachment inquiry into Biden's been going on for a couple of months. And it seems like now Uh, It's starting to catch a little bit of uh, steam and uh, full speed ahead, it seems. Uh, At least it seems, you know, while when Speaker Johnson starts saying things like this is a very important, high and holy, solemn duty that we hold. And, you know, whenever you start saying things like that, that means, uh, you know, we're thinking of pulling the trigger and we realize that it's a serious trigger Um, because that's how you do it. You know, you, you play coy in the beginning and you say, well, no, 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 we're not we're not impeaching anybody. No, come on. This is a very serious matter to impeach someone. We would never do that flippantly. No way. Like McCarthy did. Now comes Johnson to say, well, you know, look, after, you know, we're looking at the facts. We're going to go where they go and blah, blah, blah. You know, they they all sing the same song. And uh, the facts are, in my opinion, Biden should have impeached a long time ago. But I'm excited to see that Chairman Jim Jordan is out there um, beating the drum saying, hey, where's Hunter? Listen to this. I mean, this story is as old as as old as time. Uh, you have a politician who does certain things. Those actions benefit his family financially. And then there's an effort to sweep it all under the rug. And we know this has happened. The best example is to use the Ukrainian energy company Burisma. Four key facts. Hunter Biden gets put on the board of Burisma. Fact number one. Fact number two. He's not qualified to be on the board. He said so himself in an ABC interview. He said he got the job because of his last name. Fact number three, the executives at Burisma asked Hunter Biden specifically, will you weigh in with folks in D.C. to help us deal with the pressure we are under? A few days later, Joe Biden gets on a plane, flies to Kiev, 
and announces that you will not get the money that was already approved unless you fire the prosecutor who was applying the pressure. That all happens. That all happens. Those key facts happen. And those facts are confirmed by some of the evidence we've uncovered already, already this 1023 form where the confidential human source told the FBI and it was recorded in this form. That, those are the key facts. And now it's important. We got a lot of those key facts when we interviewed one of Hunter Biden's business partners, Mr. Archer. It's important we talk to the others. We need to talk to Eric Schwerwin. We need to talk to Rob Walker. We need to talk to Tony Bobulinski. And we're in conversations with their lawyers, and we think those are going to happen. And we need to talk to Jim Biden, who was also in business with Hunter Biden. Those things need to happen. And then, as the chairman just said, as Chairman Comer just said, we will uh, have Hunter Biden in a deposition. And frankly, I think in, a, in an open hearing, I think that would, be, that would be great. That's what needs to happen so the American people get the facts, get the truth, and we can make a decision on how we move forward as a conference. So the House Republicans, again, made these comments at a press conference today uh, to um, remind the public that there is a actual impeachment inquiry website that they've launched through the House GOP. Uh, the website is gop.gov slash Biden impeachment inquiry. That's gop.gov slash Biden impeachment inquiry. And and this is where they uh, ended up today, was uh, trying to give everybody an update on what they felt was uh, important for the American public to know. And among them, uh, Jim Jordan, House Speaker uh, Mike, what's his name again? I'm forgetting his last name. Anybody? Bueller? Mike Johnson. I was always going to call him Mike Adams. <laughs> Mike Johnson. And uh, I was reading something. And uh, uh, Conference Chair Elise Stefanik uh, making uh, statements and um, it's great to see. I mean, uh, Stefanik said, you know, the website's going to be providing the public with a one-stop shop for updates for each of our committees and the evidence they are uncovering. So Congress is taking it seriously. They're trying to gain public support. I think that's exactly how you do it. I'm excited to see how this unfolds. And I'm really excited because, you know, as much as of a uh, political junkie and observer, excuse me, that I've been over the years, uh, I love to um, to try and figure these things out. But this one, I don't have a clue. I don't understand where this goes. Uh, I can't predict. I don't know if Biden gets uh, an impeachment inquiry and then the Democrats say, OK, OK. All right. Listen, Joe, you got you got to step aside. You, you got to step aside so we can put somebody else in so we could try to win 24. Or if there's already a deal that's made somewhere where they go, all right, that's it. We're going to lose this one. Joe, you run. You're going to you're going to fail miserably. Trump's coming back and we just have to mitigate uh, the fallout here and figure out what we're going to do. If uh, if Trump, uh, in fact, wins in 24 because Biden is a disaster uh, or maybe a choice C. I don't know. That's it's, it's hard to kind of war game this. But we're going to get into that and a little bit more. We're going to talk about Trump's debate strategy. I also want to talk about something that uh, we've talked about before on this program, something that the World Economic Forum brings up. Uh, guys like Klaus Schwab and and his little evil henchman, the professor, uh, Dr. Um, Yuval Harari. Um, and it's transhumanism. And uh, we're going to get with the guy who wrote the book on it. So don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. I'm with you straight till 1 a.m. tonight. We've got a lot to cover tonight. So try not to miss any part of the program. The phone number is 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And there's an interesting story. I, I saw it in the New York Times. It's also in the Asia Times uh, about a artificial intelligence firm, uh, G42, that's caught the eye of the CIA. And it has some ties to China. And this mysterious Chinese IT expert is helping to bring the funds and technology and business connections to Abu Dhabi to, to really make this thing happen. And I want to get into to this a little bit uh, with the author of Dark Aeon. Did I say it right? Dark Aeon. Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. Joe Allen is with us. Joe Allen, welcome to the program. Rich, very good to be here. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking about the book, and I also want to get your take on on this AI and how uh, it's a, a threat to our national security. Um, let's uh, help us understand how this whole thing is unfolding. I know you're following this story better than most of us are. Uh, well, the, actually, this uh, particular story uh, has not come across my uh, table. The story that we've been following on the War Room has. Um, been focused on the AI summit that was just held in Washington, D.C. Uh, the last uh, three days, uh, or right. the, for the last day. And, and um, uh, yes, uh, so uh, kind of an awkward start. Uh, sorry, sir. But um, uh, what, what we're looking at ultimately is an arms race between the U.S. Uh, and China, the U.S. and Russia, uh, an arms race between corporations within the U.S. to build uh, it, the peak of uh, aspiration, artificial general intelligence. Right. Uh, the goal ultimately is to kind of create a god in silico. Uh, that has been uh, the major focus of my work for the last three years, looking at this sort of religious aspiration to create a God where most of these technologists believe none existed previously. Well, how do we land on this, right? Because, I mean, as we're looking at uh, the, the, the whole idea of artificial intelligence and whether it's this particular um, company that I'm talking about uh, or many others that are, you're talking about in the summit, either way, artificial intelligence has really grown. And we've heard the likes of, of Yuval Harari and Klaus Schwab and, and others that are part of the World Economic Forum uh, talk about how, you know, God is a, um, you know, you won't need God. You'll need, you'll need this, this technology. And uh, some people take exception to that based on, on religious uh, principle, but others um, subscribe to it because they're like, yeah, who needs that, you know, good friend, that imaginary friend in the sky. What we need is the, the concrete data that goes into these supercomputers and this, uh, you know, artificial intelligence. So uh, I'm wondering, how did we get to this point where this has become something that isn't laughed out of, uh, out of a conference or laughed out of, out of a conversation when it's brought up? Well, uh, the aspiration has been there for a long time. Uh, the concept of artificial intelligence, even superhuman artificial intelligence, goes back to uh, at the least World War II. Uh, and in the aftermath of World War II, you had the, um, the focus in the Department of Defense in the U.S. on the creation of a machine that could think uh, now, of course, this has been kind of scoffed at uh, for uh, really up until the last two or three years. And suddenly with the release of GPT, 
the conversation has shifted dramatically, mainly because of the sudden increase in capabilities seen uh, in the GPT system and uh, other you know, cognate systems like the one at Google. You'll probably recall there was a whistleblower, Blake Lemoyne, who uh, just last year uh, came forward saying that the systems that they're working on at Google uh, are, are conscious, that, that Lambda, as it's called, uh, Lambda is actually a conscious entity that uh, wants to be free, that wants to help humanity. Now, this conversation is still considered fringe to uh, many people, skeptics abound. Uh, I myself am skeptical of the, the claims that anything like a godlike system will be created. But one thing is for absolute certain, uh, the people who said you would never have a language model that would be able to put string together a coherent sentence, the people who said you would never have an image generator that could create something that was, if not original, novel, and of course the people who said you would never have an AI that could pilot a drone by itself all of those people have been proved wrong in the last five to seven years. These systems exist now. They are improving. And so the, the conversation is it, not landed, for the most part, on this concept of a sort of godlike intelligence, at least not among most people. But the concept of a system that would be able to outperform human beings at various cognitive tasks, well, uh, that conversation is basically over. It's happened. Right. And uh, I, it makes me wonder, who was promoting that? Was it just skeptics in general or was it these AI guys themselves so that they uh, they could use this stuff for for whatever they wanted to? You know, like, no, I don't have an X-ray machine that could see through this, that and the other. Meanwhile, you know, you have it and you could do it and the type of damage you could cause with it. Who knows what the, 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 the rationale there was? I'm sure years ago it was kind of like, oh, that's pie in the sky science fiction thinking. But I think. Uh, we've seen it all over the Internet. I mean, I've seen a million images of uh, of President Trump uh, getting locked up by the NYPD. That never happened. But we saw those images. Right. And I, I saw a, another AI the other day of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying something uh, that she sort of said, but they dumbed it down even further than she had when she said it. And it was very funny, but it was clearly a deep fake. And uh, we're, we're seeing the rise of these things. And they, they appear to be, to most people, definitely the untrained eye. Uh, as um, undetectable. And and here we are. So uh, how much more advancement do we see in this world if we've already come this far? And we've got about a minute before we take a pause. You know, I can say this very, very briefly. Um, the limits are simply unknown. The ambition is, again, uh, beyond anything imaginable. And even if it stops right now, even if these systems that we have right now are the plateau and it's never going beyond, we still have a major issue to deal with. All right, we'll leave it there. We'll come right back. Folks, we're on with Joe Allen. He is the author of Dark Eon, the, uh, excuse me, the book title Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. He's coming right back. We're going to continue our discussion. And uh, if you're interested in giving a call, feel free, 833-482-5337. 833-4-Valdez. Don't move a muscle. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Welcome back. We continue with our conversation with Joe Allen. Uh, he's the author of the book Dark Eon, and it's um, full title Transhumanism, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. And I want to talk about this because I, I, we've talked about it seldom on this program because it's not something I think that comes up in everyday conversation, at least not on this show um, and not in, in the mainstream media. But it is, in fact, the thing, right? Transhumanism as a whole is, is an area that people are, are really uh, leery about. And I'd like to get uh, an understanding, Joe Allen, um, A, why, why you wrote the book and, and give everybody, uh, I guess, an overview of why you think it's important to talk about transhumanism. Well, I've been very unsettled by the developments in technology really since I was uh, very young. And as they have accelerated and as the encroachment on people's personal lives uh, has increased, uh, it's just become more and more alarming. Once the pandemic hit, once you saw the trends that had already been in motion for uh, decades, the increase in surveillance, the increase in propaganda, uh, propaganda, uh, the increase in the sort of digitization of people's lives so that humans have become more and more dependent on technology and technology has come to the forefront of the value system of the country, uh, the pandemic uh, just, uh, you could say, uh, radicalized me, set me off. Um, I was writing a series of articles uh, for two different publications, Cold Type and, of course, The Federalist, uh, Steve Bannon read uh, some of my work at The Federalist, brought me on to the war room. And for the last uh, almost three years now, I've uh, done nothing but cover technology, the recent breakthroughs in artificial intelligence, genetic engineering, and of course, the brain-computer interface, and how that ties to the larger philosophy of transhumanism, the desire to take hold of human evolution, to go beyond the human uh, that extends into the realms, of course, of the post-human uh, and the desire to create systems, artificial intelligence systems with robotic bodies uh, that, in fact, uh, succeed human beings, that displace us, uh, perhaps replace us entirely. Um, it, again, you know, as you'd mentioned earlier in the conversation, these conversations, these, uh, these ideas were considered very fringe kind of late-night AM radio topics. They've become now uh, headline stories uh, in the Daily Mail and increasingly in places like Washington Post and the New York Times. The reason being, the technologies are catching up to the dreams. And as I said before we closed, it's unclear how close these technologies will come to the dreams, but it's very clear that at this point, 
the presence of AI systems that can generate art or text, uh, AI systems that can identify dissidents, uh, AI systems that can be programmed to kill uh, the presence of brain-computer interfaces that function, which exist today, and of course the advent of genetic engineering techniques like CRISPR, that means that we've already entered that realm. Uh, the two questions we have to ask are uh, how far will these technologies go, and to the extent that they've already come this far or they go any farther, how much are we willing to accept? How much transformation uh, is is humanity willing to deal with? Well, I mean, this is uh, just a lot, right? <laughs> it's a lot to take in. Now, Joe Allen, something that you're right uh, in, in the description for the book is transhumanism is the great merger of humankind with the machine. At this stage in history, it consists of billions using smartphones and going forward, we'll be hardwiring our brains to artificial intelligence systems. And I want you to get into that um, as soon as we come back from this pause, because I think it's important that we kind of really break this down. And, and uh, I, I like the way you put that together, because I think oftentimes we hear about transhumanism and we just don't see a, where it's at today, what it is in general, and B, what the future looks like. So, folks, we're on with Joe Allen. He's the author of Dark Eon, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. We're coming right back with him and your calls, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, folks, welcome back. We're on with Joe Allen. He's the author of the book, Dark Eon, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. And Joe, you're right. Transhumanism is the great merger of humankind with medicine. At this stage in history, it consists of billions using smartphones. Going forward, we'll be hardwiring our brains to artificial intelligence systems. Tell us what you meant by that. The overall concept of transhumanism, again, is human enhancement, human enhancement by way of technology. Um, it, it, you have covered uh, the World Economic Forum on your show, Klaus Schwab, you all know Harari. When Klaus Schwab is talking about the fourth industrial revolution, what he's talking about, the way he defines it, is the convergence of the physical, the digital, and the biological worlds, the fusion of our physical, our digital, and our biological identities. If you look at his book, The Fourth Industrial Revolution, he's talking about everything from AIs making decisions for human beings to brain implants. Now, 
Schwab is the head of an ideological hub, right? The World Economic Forum is simply a place that, uh, you know, a lot of money or at least deals are made to uh, exchange money, but ideas are exchanged. People are pitching the technologies they want investment in. The real engine behind this is people like Elon Musk. Elon Musk, as your listeners probably well know, is working on Neuralink. The concept of the Neuralink is this. You have AI systems that will quickly outpace human beings. The only way humans will stay relevant in that world is to link the brain in total to these AI systems. So right now, the FDA has approved the trials for Neuralink. This is, of course, going to be done on paralytics, people who need it. But uh, Musk is very open about his ambition for this. His ambition is to create a commercial product to allow normal human beings to control computer systems with nothing but their brains. These systems already exist. They've been developed by BlackRock Neurotech. They've been developed by Synchron. But Musk's represents uh, kind of the, the height of sophistication, at least as these technologies exist today. And uh, as he puts it, and I, I, I disagree entirely with his worldview and the direction he wants humanity to, get, to go, but he's absolutely correct in this. He says, we are already cyborgs. We are already connected to our smartphones as if they were an appendage, as if they were a part of ourselves. And what we will have to do is open the bandwidth to move from using our thumbs and our eyeballs to using our brains themselves to control these systems. That is at least one part of this great merger of man with machine that's envisioned not by nutcases in their basements, but by the wealthiest men on earth. Wow, that's a lot. <clears throat> Honestly, this is one of those things where, you know, I hear it and then I, two years from now I'll go, yep, yep, somebody told me about that. So how do you uh, envision all of this? Um, it's a runaway train. There's no way to stop it. Or is there? I think the only thing that will stop it will either be a solar flare or some sort of mass worldwide Luddite rebellion. Uh, I, I'm not counting on the first, and I'm just not seeing uh, the stirrings of the latter. I believe that None of this is going to be universally applied across the planet to all uh, 8.59 billion people in the future. Uh, I, I think that it will be uh, buried from one place to another, one nation to the other. But I think we can count on Silicon Valley, on the U.S. Department of Defense, on uh, Wall Street, and on their counterparts in China, India, Europe, so on and so forth, to move forward with all of this. And so the question, again, as I posed earlier, the question is how much can we take? How much are we willing to take? Uh, what direction uh, is each individual in each community willing to go in? Uh, we're going to have some very bizarre choices, not unlike the ones we've had for the last three years. It's going to get weirder. Got it. And I agree. I think in, uh, in effect... Uh, we'll see variances of this, like the same way we see a varied use of of smartphones. In some places, it's it's a lot more prevalent than others. But I feel like eventually, people catch up, right? You know, I think Europe was was um, flooded with smartphones in the early two thousands, while in America we still had you know flip phones and 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 the like. Yeah. And now here we are. 
you know, I remember meeting people that would go on vacation to Italy or France back in like 1999 and they would say, oh, it's crazy in Europe. Nobody looks up. Everybody's looking down with their thumbs, just typing on their phones. And, uh, and I said, wow, that's weird. Why would you type on your phone? Because texting wasn't even a thing in 1999 the way it is today. And here we are where you, you can't look anywhere without somebody looking down with, you know, with their thumbs going buck wild. So uh, I wonder, even though the thought is that this would be you know, varied across the globe, eventually you give it 10 years, 20 years, um, everybody catches up. Do you agree? So this is one of the major problems we face, and that's that, um, again, this is not a fringe movement anymore. This, is, this really is coming out of the, the most powerful organizations on earth, the wealthiest men on earth, and a lot of it is driven by status. And so in the same way that if you want a high-status job at a major corporation – uh, or if you want to be taken seriously, oftentimes just in a social situation, you're going to need to be technologically upgraded, right? You pull out a flip phone, people think you're kind of weird. You don't have a phone, people wonder what happened in your life, what went wrong. Um, as the technologies become more and more sophisticated, as we move closer to augmented reality, uh, virtual reality, as we move closer to actual commercially viable brain-computer interfaces, if these things do catch on, if these dreams coming out of uh, the tech world and suffusing, again, uh, the most prestigious organizations on earth, if it comes to fruition, then what you're talking about is a world in which you're not able to compete at the highest level unless you have adopted these technologies. I think it's very, very important that people start to reckon with this now Let's hope it never comes to fruition. Let's hope that the technology simply is impossible. But if it's not, and if the adoption does become widespread, like with the smartphone, then we're going to have to figure out what sorts of alternative arrangements can be made. A lot of people are already doing that. In fact, a lot of political dissidents right now already know what it's like to live on the fringe of the system. Uh, I, I, I suspect that more and more people who still identify as human 1.0 rather than human 2.0, I, I suspect that a lot of people are going to have to make very similar decisions to the political dissidents of today in the very near future. Do I conform or do I not? Uh, my vote is for not. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Joe Allen, thanks for um, the explanation on all of that, folks. If you want to get a copy of Joe's book, it's called Dark Eon, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. Joe Allen, let everybody know how they can get a copy of the book. You can get it at bookshop.org, uh, thriftbooks.com. And of course, if you are acclimated to the great beast, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, you can find all this at my website, joebot.xyz, and uh, I do hope that the deep research there will uh, get your listeners started down the path to really thinking this through and deciding what kind of future they want to live in. Outstanding. Well, sir, thank you for the conversation. I appreciate it. And, folks, we get to your calls and more straight ahead, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 
833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Transhumanism, it's the wave of the future. This, uh, these brain chips or brain interfaces are going to um, rule the roost, right? We're going to be a bunch of cyborgs. Um, honestly, I, I've been hearing this stuff for years, and it, it's easy to say, ah, oh, that'll never happen, but I, I totally believe it's going to happen. I believe it's going to happen, and I believe that we are in, in pretty bad shape as, as, a, as a species, I'm going to say. Earlier today, I was... Um, scrolling on Instagram and I saw somebody posted something about, and we'll, we'll probably discuss it more uh, at the top of hour number three, but it was about a suicide pod. And I, I thought this was remarkable and not in a good way. In certain countries, you can order this pod that fills, I forget what chemical, I don't know if it was like nitrous oxide or, something that causes you to die, but it's like an airtight chamber, like almost like a coffin with a glass window though. So you could watch your favorite thing. And it it was fascinating to me how you could go to a sunset. Let's say you wanted to your final moment to be a sunset and you go in this little contraption and then you hit the button and then the gas fills the little chamber and then you're done. It's like your own personal private gas chamber. And, And I thought to myself, this is crazy, right? And then what's worse is that some governments have uh, started to subscribe to the idea of uh, physician-assisted suicide. And it just made me think, you know, if, if that's happening right now today, you bet your bottom dollar that people are going to be like, oh, I got the new brain chip. <laughs> Absolutely they are. The same way they're like every, everybody, I mean, now not everybody, but the same way people are going crazy for Teslas, or going crazy for whatever the the coolest technology trend is, the latest iPhone, the latest Google Pixel phone, the latest whatever. People love that, the latest um, video game console. Whatever the the case is, people like to to have cool stuff, something uh, Joe Allen just mentioned. He said it's a status symbol. And there's always going to be those early adopters and people that like that stuff. But I don't think for a second that, Elon Musk would invest a dollar into a company like uh, Neuralink if he didn't think that these brain chips were going to make him a ton of money. Now, you could make the argument and say, well, he invested in Twitter and he didn't think it was going to make him a lot of money. I agree. But I think he did that from an altruistic perspective because uh, he's an altruist and he wants to, you know, like, like most billionaires, they want to make the world better one way or another for themselves or for others. Look at how far um, Bill Gates takes it. With, you know, we're going to create vaccines for everybody. And the more vaccines we have, the better the world will be. And he tests them on kids in African villages before he gives them to anybody else. It's, it's just the level of insanity, um, or I guess the departure from humanity, the departure from 
um, what I guess most of us um, regular people who like believe in God <laughs> would say is this departure from just godliness and normalcy is just crazy. And it looks like we're headed there on an express train. Plus, I want to get into this story uh, about China and their ties to this uh, UAE firm. That's an AI firm, and the CIA is uh, investigating them. So we'll talk about that uh, as well at the top of hour number three. But straight ahead, we're going to continue our conversation uh, on lots of things that are going on, including President Trump and his calls for the Republican National Committee to revamp debates. Will it work? We don't know, but we'll discuss it straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And welcome to the program, hour number two. The phone number, if you want to join us, is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And there's a few things going on in the news that we mentioned earlier, and a few things that we're going to dig into now. Uh, President Trump has... has um, asked the GOP to revamp the debate structure. And we're going to get into that in a moment. We also have uh, Elon Musk telling uh, the advertisers advertisers that bailed out saying he was an anti-Semite. He says they're trying to blackmail him and that they should go F themselves. (laughs) And we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, Plus, there's a story on AOC, our least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, AOC, all out crazy. And uh, I'm going to get to that as well. But I want to bring in our guest to talk about this um, GOP revamp and whether it'll actually work, whether it won't work and uh, what the ramifications of it all are. Jeff Webb's uh, an author of the best-selling book, American Restoration, How to Unshackle the Great Middle Class and the publisher of Human Events and the post-millennial Jeff Webb. Welcome back, sir. Ah, oh, Rich, good to talk to you again. Likewise. So we, we've got this story that um, Trump wants, um, he's, he's asked for some, uh, for some changes. And uh, thus far, the RNC hasn't really, in my opinion, done a great job with, uh, with a lot of things. Um, and I, I'm I'm not very inspired to think they're going to do uh, a good job at <laughs> at enacting any of these uh, requests that uh, former President Trump has. Uh, what are your thoughts? What's he calling for? You know, I think that. Um, well, first of all, I think you're right that <laughs> recently the RNC has uh, hasn't done very many things well at all. And um, I have to say that I think uh, what Vivek said as he started out the last debate about um, 
if uh, you know if if this was a private business, the entire group would have been fired because there's no, you know, they, they haven't achieved anything, they haven't accomplished anything, and they're uh, you know they, they, it's time time for a different direction. They, they, why are they there? Why are they being paid? What are they doing? They have a big budget and they're we're not being successful. So at some point there has to be accountability. You know, having said that, the debate um, now he was talking that day about the elections the night before and that we had pretty much the you know the the republicans had lost again and how many times does it take before you before you make a change but i think that the uh, the the debates are a perfect example of um just bad just bad decision making um and then i think also bad execution um the the, the I, w- what are they accomplishing uh, they haven't really helped anybody. Could you say Nikki Haley's been helped a little bit? Maybe. But, you know, you have a forum where you have all these candidates criticizing each other. And so and all of them criticizing Donald Trump, who any, anybody can look at this and see he's going to be with barring some unforeseen legal situation. He is going to be the nominee. So we're giving our own candidates our own party a platform to criticize and damage potentially politically and jeopardize the chance for uh, an election victory we're giving him a platform to do that and we're paying for it we're spending money like trump is saying why don't we save this money and send it and spend on the general election so i i and i also also agree with what vivek said about you know the who we're choosing to actually interview the candidates on these debates. Uh, and of course he was talking about NBC, but I, I thought, I thought the mm-hmm. Fox hosts were terrible too. I mean, Stuart Barney, pretty good. Uh, Dana Perino with the, uh, Hey, you're off the Island comment right at the beginning was laughable. And, um, <laughs> I just, I, I just don't see that anything is being accomplished with these debates. So there, there, there needs they, they need to, we need to either change the format or, you know what, maybe just completely do away with them. You know, it worked out pretty well when we had the people in Iowa and New Hampshire, you know, who are, who are really versed at, uh, you know, vetting candidates and a retail uh, political sort of situation, kind of, you know, spending months and coming up with the top candidates and getting the, uh, the nomination process going. But I just, I just I just don't see what the debates are accomplishing at all. What What are some of the um, requests that President Trump has, Jeff Webb? You know, look, I haven't I haven't really um, you know dug into all the requests that he's that he that he's making, but I think I, well, at one point he just said, "Why are we doing this? And why do we right. not take the money and spend it in the general election?" And and I think he's just really talking about is there anything that can be done? I don't think he believes in what they're doing at all. Um, but you know these debates have, have gotten to be kind of part of the election process somehow. And um, no, no, let, let's let's be fair here. Um, the last time around, 2016, Trump was the big beneficiary of that debate uh, format, right? right. Uh, he's the one that stood out <laughs> with with everybody on the stage. He was so different; he really benefited from it. Um, you know, having the kind of lead he has right now, I think strategically. Probably making the right decision by not even participating. But if this was, uh, you know, if, it, if there was a real horse race here and two or three candidates that were really close, uh, yeah, maybe it could work. But having that many candidates on the stage at one time when everybody's got to hurry and everybody's, they've got to talk so fast and try to get all their points that 
you know, the delivery is not even good. And then they're talking over each other and they're insulting each other. It's, uh, I don't know. I just think, I don't think it accomplishes anything. I think, I think it makes us look bad. Folks are on with Jeff Webb and, um, he's, uh, written the book, American Restoration, How to Unshackle the Great Middle Class, and he's the publisher of Human Events and uh, the Post-Millennial. Jeff Webb, I want you to stick with us. I want to continue to not only discuss this topic, but uh, the rest of your opinions on on the news of the day. And uh, folks, if you're uh, just tuning in, the phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Uh, by the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations. I had somebody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing? Are people listening, right? That's but right. But you're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez with our guest, Jeff Webb. Um, he is the author of the book. Where'd it go? There it goes. American Restoration, How to Unshackle the Great Middle Class. He's also the publisher of Human Events and the Post Millennial. And as a publisher, Jeff Webb, I'd like to get your opinion on another, uh, maybe not a publisher, but platform owner, uh, Elon Musk, who was uh, at the New York Times deal book summit. And he had some pretty harsh words for advertisers, advertisers that were, he says, trying to blackmail him into uh, censoring content. Listen to this. There's a public perception that that was part of a apology tour, if you will. That this had been said online. There was all of the criticism. There was advertisers leaving. We talked to Bob Iger I hope today. they stop. You hope? Uh, don't advertise. You don't want them to advertise? No. What do you mean? If, if somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go f- yourself. But go yourself. Is that clear? I hope it is. Hey, Bob, if you're in the audience. Well, well, let me ask you then. That's how I feel. Well, there you go. Elon Musk says uh, he tells everybody how he feels. Jeff Webb, uh, what's your thought on his comments and the situation overall? Yeah, yeah, Musk is saying, read my lips, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I, uh, you know, when you when you have that kind of money, you can, uh, I guess you can, <laughs> you can, you can uh, say whatever you want to say. It seems like, but look, um, I, I think to some extent he's right. I mean, again, you've got these advert. It's pretty well known these advertising agencies are run by you know woke uh, corporate executives. The same with some of the bigger the bigger, you know, uh, companies and they're looking for an excuse to, uh, to take, to take somebody like Musk down. And, uh, they think he's a little bit too conservative. So they're looking for any excuse that they can. They'll twist anything around is, you know, it's all part of the, the cancel culture we live in. Right. So, 
I, uh, you know, I hope he stands his ground and um, I understand the principle that he's, uh, that he's basing his remarks on. And, and I, I get that too. And as, um, as a publisher yourself, I know you're not in that position. Most aren't, right? Very few people are the richest <laughs> man in the world <laughs> to, to have what they call yeah, F.U. Right. money, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's right. not a good business practice. I agree with that. But I think on principle, which is, I think, why he even bought Twitter, it was on principle. I don't think it was really an investment per se. Um, when, when you look at this, um, I feel like, and you just alluded to this, that it's, a, it's another example of our cancel culture, which I think it is. How does um, somebody like you, uh, like, you know, the post-millennial uh, human events, uh, any uh, smaller blog publisher, how do, how do they survive in a climate where everybody's out to get you, even in a case like this where Media Matters will go ahead and kind of fabricate the, uh, the images that they said were anti-Semitic with the advertising? Right. No, exactly. Um, well, you know, we... Uh... We just, we try to do the right thing, and um, that's you know that's kind of that's, that's where we start, and we we try not to be intimidated. Um, you know we don't we don't want to be stupid, and yeah, do we do we do we like advertising? Yeah, we have to have uh, revenue to to be able to have a platform to take the positions we take, right? But um, you know we, you you just have to be careful. But you you can't be you can't be in this business really. And, and just allow yourself to be intimidated. And you've got to, you know, people are out there trying to get you and cancel you. And, you know, they're you know, trying to go to the, they, you know, making you look bad, filing lawsuits. I mean, there's all kinds of things where there's that kind of leftist intimidation all the time. So you just have to be vigilant. You have to have, uh, you have to be careful how you say things. You've got to, you know, you, you've got to be aware of what you're saying. You've got to be able to back it up. But you can't, you can't be intimidated because once you are, if you get compromised, um, what, what do you have and where does that lead? And what are you saying to the people that work for the, for the company? What are you saying to your, to the people who follow us, who trust us? So it, it's not easy. It's not easy being a conservative platform right now. That's for sure. Uh, you don't see any of these platforms with any of the major consumer products companies advertising, right? That they're not doing it. We're all kind of blacklisted. So you're, right. you know, you're not going to see Coca-Cola or Delta Airlines or Procter & Gamble advertising on conservative platforms. You just don't see it. You know, Jeff Webb, um, you're, you're, uh, I think you're spot on. And there's so many people that are, you know, maybe not exactly your shoes, but they're in your shoes. They're small business owners. They're, they're trying to, yeah. to get forward in America, even those that are working in small businesses. And y your book... Um, American restoration, how to unshackle the great middle class, uh, I think is, is such an important work because that's truly where, where we are. Right. I think the middle class has always been the kind of that fertile place to grow where you can be upper middle class and have more of that mobility that, that everybody's looking for as part of the American dream. And it seems to be diminishing in particular now at, at present time where while the jobs reports say there's more and more jobs, many of them part-time jobs, uh, I don't think you're really pursuing the American dream if, if you're not making it um, the way you'd like to make it, right? Everybody wants to own a home, go on a couple of good vacations a year, not, you know, have to work a second job just to afford the home you have and your groceries. And it seems That's like right. we're there. Um, tell us a little bit about the, um, the unshackling of the middle class. 
Well, you know, I, I wrote this uh, book. I, you know, I have a business background. I built a business from uh, from scratch over about uh, 40 years and then, um, you know, kind of dabbled in politics and then uh, I sold the company, kind of went, kind of wanted, wanted to get further in. That's how I ended up with human events and the post-millennial. But, um, you know, I, I have a, a very much a middle-class background. Uh, grew up in Dallas, Texas and went to public schools and went to a public university, University of Oklahoma and was able to cobble a little money together with an idea when I was 24 years old and was fortunate enough to build it into a significant company and have some financial success. So I really did live what most people consider the American dream. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when, um, um, when I really started trying to decide politically what, what was going to be important to me and what were the causes that I felt strongest about, I kind of went back to that middle class upbringing and started really researching what has happened to the middle class. Because when, when I was growing up, you know, um, my father was in the oil business. He wasn't a big oil tycoon. He worked for an oil company. It was just a regular kind of salary office job. And my mother, you know, taught kindergarten and, you know, we were in middle class, we, but we were doing fine. And everybody was, we were moving up the ladder and life was getting, getting better and uh, and now you look at gradually what's happened to the middle class. I mean, the, the the size and affluence of the middle class in America is what built the greatest economy in the world, especially following World War II. When the GIs came home and went to work and started families and, you know, again, built this incredible uh, uh, economy. Um, but, you know, over the last 30 years, uh, things have just started to trickle down. It's gotten a little harder and a little harder. And as you're saying, now it takes both, you know, both heads of households, uh, you know, to be to be working, to have the kind of things that when I was growing up, we had with really one person working. And, uh, you know, you look at the millennials now and how, um, you know, how many, how hard it is for them to afford a home. And it's just um, the, the middle class is being squeezed at the top. The top is doing just fine. It's like the housing market right now. You know, houses are being sold, but most of them are on cash. The only people that have cash are the yeah. people that, that, that are more. That have close. cash. <laughs> and people trying <laughs> right. to make a mortgage payment. The people or banks. trying to make a mortgage. When, yeah. Yeah. So when, when you figure the average mortgage payment is nearly double what it was a little over a year ago right now. I mean, uh, it's uh, the, 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 people are kidding themselves. Even Jamie Dimon decided, said today, if you did you saw this when he was he's saying that uh you know we're, we're on a sugar high with our economy that we look at the some of the numbers and we talk about low unemployment and you know this and that but he said you know at the at the bottom part of the food chain um unfortunately uh things are getting harder and it's not good and uh we're, we that segment of our society has not really improved in the last 40 years, we've done all these different kinds of programs. We've done everything we can, all this government involvement, and it hasn't moved the needle. And so, you know, we're spending all this money. We're spending all this money on foreign wars with no, uh, you know, with with no uh, strategic uh, um, outcome defined. And we're, we've run up a $33 trillion debt that somebody's going to have to pay off. And we're just, you know, yeah. we're on that sugar high. We're just marching along, and we're not doing what it takes to to maintain and expand the affluence of the middle class. Jeff Webb, uh, wise words indeed. Thank you for joining us tonight. I appreciate it. 
Uh, folks, check out uh, Jeff Webb's book, American Restoration, How to Unshackle the Great Middle Class. Jeff, thanks for being with us. And folks, straight ahead, we're going to talk about managing your reputation. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. So we were just talking about Elon Musk and earlier we were talking about Donald Trump and both of these guys, um, they say what's on their mind and there's an onslaught of attacks on them in the media. And one thinks, you know, a lot of people are afraid to take a stance on things because for fear of their reputation and where that might end up if. You know, people, uh, even Kanye West a while back, and he's under attack again for a song he wrote, uh, which seems, you know, from from the headline to be in, in um, bad taste, <laughs> but uh, seems like he doesn't care. And, and I think oftentimes it's it's that uncaring attitude that gets you um, the um, the fodder, right? And they take shots at you. But ultimately, there's a reputation to maintain. And even uh, Sam Altman, right? I think it was his reputation that kind of saved him here. Um, he was ousted as the CEO of OpenAI, but then uh, he came back and some were revolting and others were not. And I want to talk about reputations um, because I think it's important, right? I think it's, it's, a, it's a big part of, of you and I and the regular normal people of our daily lives. Or if you're like me in a public facing uh, type of career, uh, there's always a, an element of reputation management or reputation protection that you have to maintain because of the nature of your job. But a lot of us don't oftentimes speak about those things. So I want to um, speak with the author of Reputation Shift. Mike Mooney is a speaker, a coach, and and the author of the aforementioned book. Um, Mike Mooney, welcome. Rich, thanks so much. Good evening. Good evening to you, sir. My pleasure. And I want to get your thoughts on this uh, Sam Altman um, being rehired at OpenAI, and yeah. and how it really uh, inspired loyalty for some and caused a revolt amongst others. Yeah, I'll tell you. And again, thanks for having me on, Rich. It's been a really interesting story as it's been unfolding over the of last course. week or so. You know, and uh, and and there's still more to to, to come, w- w- without a doubt. I think every day we're we're finding out some new things uh, that are happening at the board level. But if we drill into into your particular question on reputation, my goodness, I mean, what, what a litmus test, right, for leaders. If uh, looking at, at a leader being ousted by the board and more than 90% of the employees raising their hands saying, if he goes, I go, right? Right. And I think, you know, now there may be a, a variety of reasons for that, you know, and instilled in there, but from, from what I've been reading and observing over the last week about Sam and, and, and how he's built that loyalty, built that reputation. A lot of it comes down to the, the way that he interacted with his team. The people were true believers in the mission. He was able to really rally people around this idea of going to a new horizon, taking them, redefining an industry. 
And and people were, were really just very much, um, you know, uh, rallying around that with him and recognizing that this is someone that they see as one of them, you know, um, and very, very charismatic from, from what we've been reading and seeing and very curious, which meant that he's open to people's ideas and thinking about, hey, how can we build this together? What are we doing here? And for leaders, I mean, that that's the kind of reputation you want to be building, that you're curious, you want input, you want to be with your people, which espouses their loyalty. When it comes to reputation, mm-hmm. what do you advise, uh, you know, regular people who aren't uh, Altman, who aren't Musk, who aren't Trump, who aren't Kanye West on, on protecting their reputation? Uh, what are the elements that, that you recommend? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And, and that really was the, the catalyst for, for my book, quite honestly. In my career, um, I've done a lot of work in, in crisis management. And I did that for athletes um, and, and such. And the reality is that it's not just the celebrities or, like you said, the, the executives or the people in the spotlight. It's you and I, right, that need to be managing and building reputation. So, so my, my key advice, my key advice on this is to be proactive. Be proactive. Too many often and too many times people wait for the what now? Oh, gosh, what do I do now? My reputation's been tarnished. It, it's, it's in jeopardy. So, you know, there, there are a couple of things um, that, that I would all, always, you know, tell people to uh, or encourage them to be thinking of is, is A, be proactive. Come from a values-based perspective and place in your life, right? You know, which we've probably all seen people who show up in different places and, and you don't know what you're getting. Different meetings, different environments, social work, whatever it might be. You know, like, wait, this person's acting very different in, in, in each of these situations, right? So, so being consistent in your actions is key. Coming from a place of your values is, is essential because you can never go wrong with that because it's, it's coming from an authentic place in you. So be proactive in what you're doing. Be mindful of your reputation every day. I mean, I often tell people that, look, I tell leaders this, uh, uh, that you know, we're earning our reputations every single day. So w- what did you earn today? That's a great point. And, and I want to uh, double back to um, when you said, you know, be mindful about your actions and and how that, you know, um, goes with uh, protecting your reputation. Uh, we're going to do that straight ahead. Folks, I want to invite you to uh, call 833-482-5337, uh, either on this topic or get in queue for Open Phone America, which is coming up at the top of the hour. Again, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Amigos, we're on right now. 
And we're having a discussion with Mike Mooney. He's a speaker, coach, and author of the book Reputation Shift. And uh, my question to him was he mentioned uh, one of his tips for protecting your reputation was to be mindful of your actions uh, as a way of protecting your reputation. Mike Mooney, um, unpack that for us. Yeah, absolutely, Rich. You know, um, one of the one of the um, ideas and, and, and uh, strategies that I often share is this idea, and going back to sports, you, you like sports, don't you? Some sports? Uh, UFC is like my thing. <laughs> what is, what is it, sorry? UFC. Okay, you, okay, well then, all right, well then, then maybe we can use this as, as, a, uh, as an example, then, right? I mean, you know, in, in UFC, there, there's oftentimes you think you see something, right? You see it the one way, but then, then they show you like the instant replay. Right. And the instant replay is awesome because it shows you something from a different perspective. You get an opportunity to slow things down. Right. You get an opportunity to look at it through maybe a different lens and go, oh, gosh, you know, I thought I thought he caught him with that foot. But actually, it was the elbow. I mean, but it, it just gives you a different way of looking at things. And stops you from jumping immediately into a, a, a decision or, or a reaction. So if we could, with certain things that we're going to be doing, decisions, maybe it's a phone call, maybe it's hitting send on an email, right? Maybe, maybe it's, it's confronting someone. Um, I always encourage people to just kind of visualize the instant replay. What would this look like from another perspective, whether it's that person, the employer, or the family member, whoever it might be. And oftentimes we're going to, in that moment, be able to say, you know what, maybe I need to reframe the way I'm going to say this. Maybe I need to, maybe I'm going to, I'm going to sleep on this. Maybe, you know, um, I'm going to handle this a different way because we tend to be very reactionary, especially when emotions come into play. And more often than not, our reputations can get damaged and hurt when we're in emotional states. So this is really a way for us to slow down for a moment and really think about it and step out of ourselves and see if we could handle it in a more proactive and, and a better way. Well, that's good advice, Mike Mooney. And in addition to being mindful of your actions, which I think uh, not only helps to protect your reputation, but probably helps to preserve relationships, to um, in, increase and improve communications with uh, business people and, and, and interpersonal relationships, uh, what else do you recommend in your book, uh, Reputation Shift? Yeah, so so uh, a lot of my career, which uh, most of it was spent in motorsports and uh, NASCAR, IndyCar, and, and Formula oh, cool. One, and working working in a lot of different capacities there. And and one of the one of the most vital roles on the race team, a lot of people think it's the driver or or the pit crew, right? Those are the, those are really the stars of the show. Um, but the reality is that one of the most vital roles on on the race team is this person called the spotter. Right now, the spotter is this person who stands like high atop the racetrack property, right? They have a full field of vision of the racetrack. They have binoculars and radio communication to that driver. And they're the ones that when that driver is solely focused on their goal of of protecting position, gaining position, right? It's that spotter who's telling them what's happening in their blind spots, in the places they can't see. But if they were to get up into Rich, it's going to take them and probably other people out of the race, right? The collateral mm. damage um, in that. So, so I, I'm, I'm very mindful. I mean, look, we're humans, right? And, and, and being humans often means that our, our humanness, we can create a human mess with things, right? And we all have blind spots if we want to be honest with ourselves. And my advice is, people to reach out to someone they trust, 
someone who they know and trust has their best interests at heart and ask them, hey, would you be my spotter? You know, if, if you see that I'm acting in a place that's in my blind spots, would, would you take me aside and let me know? Would you tell mm-hmm. me what, what I'm not seeing? Right. And tell me what what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. Too often as leaders, you know, we, we surround ourselves with people who would tell us what we want to hear, not necessarily what we need to hear. So, you know, I, I think it's very important that we have these spotters in our lives that, that are willing to step in and say, hey, Rich, I'm, I'm seeing this right now. And I, I just got to let you know what, what's going on here and what could possibly happen, you know, and that'll help slow us down as well. Excellent advice, Mike Mooney. Uh, Folks, we're going to continue our discussion with Mike Mooney, the author of Reputation Shift, and uh, your calls and Open Phone America coming up straight ahead uh, at the top of the hour, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. So after a 25-year career in motorsports, Mike Mooney wrote Reputation Shift, Lessons from Pit Road to the Boardroom, with one goal, to create an actionable field guide for people who want to win in the reputation economy. And he leads these uh, shift speed shops that I think are really interesting. It's a a unique spin on, on, you know, doing better. And I'd like him to tell us more about it. Mike Mooney, welcome back. Hey, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Rich. Great to be with you this evening. Thank you. Tell us about these shift speed shops. Yeah, so, so th- this was something that actually uh, came, came out of, uh, out of our, our time in COVID, right? Our, our seclusion period here, you know, right. and, and there's, a, there's a saying in, in racing that, that sometimes you have to slow down in order to speed up. Right. And, and it, and it seems counterintuitive, but it's really about the driver taking the time to really hit their marks and know, you know, how the car is handling, um, where is it performing best, uh, things like that. And, and I, I really believe that we've all been designed to be high performance vehicles in, in, in this world, that, that we all are actually, um, you know, people that, that are in a race, not necessarily racing, against each other, but really it's about ourselves. How will we getting better each day? So um, when, when I was, uh, you know, r- working through the book and had that out, I had a, a buddy of mine who owns a winery out in California. Uh, and he said, you know, I've got a racing line of wine, and one of them is called Shift. And he's like, well, you ought to do something with that. I'm like, that's a great idea. So, you know, we, we created these virtual events uh, where we bring leaders together, um, and we would have uh, the, the winemaker on talking about the amazing uh, red, and uh, it gave us an opportunity to talk about, you know, topics like trust. How do we build trust as, as leaders, right? 
Um, you know, how are we showing up with authenticity? The idea in all of this, Rich, is really to help people unlock their potential, to drive greater opportunity and create traction in their lives. It's, it's that simple, right? But, but it really takes us being intentional and slowing down. And, and, and that's what these, what these moments, these experiences are all about. Well, for everybody listening and that wants to, uh, you know, get to that next level in their life or their career, um, what are some of the topics or, I guess, uh, tips that you give in these workshops? Sure, sure. So, you know, be, beyond the, the conversations around reputation, which I, I believe are, are vitally important in this uh, hyper-connected world of ours these days, uh, and thank you for, for shedding light on that uh, as well, Rich. It, it's, a, it's an important conversation for, for all of us. Uh, but I also uh, I speak on continuous improvements, the idea of, you know, how do we find that 1% of, of daily improvement each day? You know, the idea of mindset as well being such a vital, critical role for us and, and how we, we show up each day. And mindset isn't about, hey, the rose, you know, rosy glasses and the, half is, the glass is always you know, half full. It's really about how do we meet the challenges of life in a way that's healthy for us and healthy for the people around us, whether it's our family, friends, uh, or employees or team members, you know, and, and then, um, I'm also speaking on the topic of peak performance as well. Well, before so you get really to peak performance, look. how do you, how do you go yeah. about that, that the step that you just mentioned, um, for people that, that want to do, um, everything that you just mentioned, what are some of the, um, I guess, actionable, um, items that would go along with that? Who for uh, for for the one percent of, of daily improvement? Or in, yeah, in for that focusing piece? on continual improvement. Because I know for some careers, yeah, right, yeah. in mine, I have to listen to my radio shows. I listen to them. I try to get better. But not everybody has a job yeah. where the, you're reviewing everything you just did or said and and making sure that you improve on it. So for those who don't have that that part of life for them, what what are some of the steps you'd recommend? Well, I mean, first, I would encourage you to find that part of your life. <laughs> right. You know, to, to be honest, we, we, we should be striving, you know, uh, to, to find ways to, to improve. Because otherwise, what are we doing? You know, we're, 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 floating, we're floating along, right? I mean, we, we've been given a precious gift with, with, with a life, right? We get one run at it. So, you know, I would encourage people, find that area. Where is that, that, that one area of life that you would like to see an improvement in. And then, and then from there, think about, okay, so what, what, is that, what is that small, what's that 1% you know, area of work that I could do? And listen, it could be, it could be building a, re, a better relationship. So what does that mean? Okay, well, so if I want to build better relationships, and this is something that I recommend to people, and I do this myself. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a practitioner, Rich. I'm not, I'm not just about the theory. You know, is every right. Friday I carve out from – 12 o'clock to 3.30, if not 4 o'clock, and I'll make five phone calls to people in my network, people I haven't spoken to in, in six months or longer. And it's a way to reach out and reconnect with people, right? So if I want to build the relationships, I have to take action. So what's, what's a small step I can do? Well, I'm going to carve the time out and I'm going to make some phone calls, right? I mean, that's just a simple, simple example of what you can do um, of, of 1%. It's not a big swing. It's just doing it. And if you did, if, even if it's three phone calls a week, Three phone calls a week for a year. That's 155, 156. It's, it's late right now, Rich. I'm sorry, my math might be off. But it's over 150 <laughs> reconnects that you're going to have in a year. Think about the impact that'll have right. in relationships in your Staying life. Staying plugged Opportunities. in. Opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's the small steps that, that, that we're talking about. But it's looking at the long, 
game. Hemingway, um, in his book, The Sun Also Rises, um, has a quote in there. Um, of, of one of the characters goes bankrupt. And one of the buddies says, how did you go bankrupt? Mike like, Mooney, I hate to cut you short, right? but the music's going to kick us out of here. Let everybody know how they can get a copy of your book. You can go to uh, MikeMooney.com. Everybody go to MikeMooney.com and order the book. Mike Mooney, great conversation. I'm going to have you back because there's so much to discuss. I appreciate it, sir. I appreciate you, Rich. Thank you very much. Have a great night. You bet. Folks, we're coming right back with Open Phone America. Don't go anywhere. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And, uh, of course, earlier today, and uh, this is hour number three of the program, uh, you're able to call this hour, 833-482-5337 is the number. And uh, I mentioned that Henry Kissinger passed away. We'll talk about that a little bit more in the next segment. Uh, There's also uh, some stories out there, an FBI agent was carjacked in broad daylight near Capitol Hill. And in New York City, there was a carjacking where uh seemed like a, an emotionally disturbed homeless man just jumped into a, a car. I think it might have been left running while the guy was just putting money in the meter or something and gets in the car. The guy comes up to the window. He's like, hey, what are you doing? Get out of my car. The guy goes nuts, drives like four feet, crashes into something, exits the vehicle, Starts running around. The cops arrive. They're like, have a seat. He lays down in front of a city bus. And then they're like, yeah, that's the guy who did it. And he's just running around like a crazy. And the next thing you know, he is um, on top of a, a black Cadillac Escalade on the roof. And he's like jumping up and down. And uh, the the driver of the car eventually gets out. The cops are pulling out their tasers to get him off. And he slides down the front windshield as if it were a slide and now he's on the hood at which time the driver grabs him and punches him in the face uh dazing him long enough for the cops to grab the guy and uh handcuff him that's new york city that happened today crazy right and uh, I, I i look at that and i think man crime is all over the place in so many uh, big cities in america and the mayor of chicago um Interestingly, he's dealing with a lot of crime. And Chicago has historically had a lot of crime, right? Um, They've never really, at least not in modern times, as far as I know, they haven't had a Republican um, running the city. And not that that may change things, but I find it interesting because he blames crime and destruction uh, and chaos on, yes, you guessed it, right-wing extremism. And I think it's it's so fascinating that that to hear this because 
He says it with a straight face. Listen to this. You know, what we've seen is a very raggedy form um, instituted by right wing extremism. Um, everyone knows that the right wing extremism in this country has targeted democratically ran cities. And quite frankly, uh, they've been very intentional about going after democratically ran cities that are led by people. Of now, color. hold on a second. Everybody knows that right wing extremists target Democrat cities. What does he mean, that we criticize them in the media? I, I talk about them on the radio, or you might hear about it on, on uh, conservative-leading news networks. I mean, I, I've never heard of everybody knowing that right-wing extremists are targeting Democrat cities. But he goes on to explain why crime is the result of right-wing extremists, not his lack of leadership. Listen to this. And their whole motivation is to create disruption and chaos, because that's what this, that particular party has been about. Right, this is the same political party that did not want to accept that President Obama was actually an American. It's the same Republican right-wing extremism that stormed the Capitol. It's the same right-wing extremism that refuses to accept the results of the Civil War. It's raggedy. It's disrespectful. It's mean-spirited. It's an unclean spirit, quite frankly. Wow. Powerful words. My goodness, Mayor Johnson. And again, that is uh, Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson, the successor of Beetlejuice, Lori Lightfoot. And I said, you know what? Let me see what is being reported right now as as crime in Chicago. Because the last time I heard about right wing extremism, right, it was those big MAGA guys um, that poured bleach on Jesse Smollett and then put a noose around his neck. Oh, wait. Turned out he made that whole thing up. It was two African brothers that were actors that he paid to beat him up. And it, the whole thing was a hoax. And then he got arrested for it. And then he said he was too crazy to serve time and they let him go. But I said, let me uh, check out what type of crime is going on in Chicago tonight to see if the perpetrators are right-wing extremists, right? Uh, uh, every time I see videos of this stuff, I don't usually see... Um, right-wing extremists. I don't see people with KKK hoods uh, or, or neo-Nazis or even the people that he mentioned, uh, the people that stormed the Capitol. I don't even see a bunch of FBI guys with, with red MAGA hats either. But here we go. Four stories come up uh, in the last uh, 24 hours. Let's see here. ABC 7 Chicago, 18 minutes ago. Chicago shooting, four shot in Homan Square. Eight hours ago. Baby shot in head, critical condition after Washington Park shooting. Fox 32 Chicago. 15-year-old boy arrested in Chicago armed robbery spree. Chicago Sun-Times, 24 hours ago. Chicago car crash leaves woman dead. All right, so now we're going to take them one by one. All right, here. Four people were shot in the city's home and square neighborhood. 30-year-old man shot in grave condition, 24-year-old woman, 31-year-old woman. All those are all the victims. Chicago police have not yet commented on the shooting. No details have been released. It's not clear if anyone's in custody yet. Okay, so we don't know if that was a right-wing extremist or not. Let's go on to the next one. Baby shot in head. A nine-month-old baby girl is in critical condition following a shooting. 10.55 p.m., shot in the head in East Garfield. Chicago police say they received the call around 10 o'clock. Let's see. Circumstances around the shooting are not available at this time. 
another story where we don't know if it, in fact, is a white ring, white right-wing extremist. Let's go here. 15-year-old. Let's see if the 15-year-old is a right-wing extremist. 15-year-old boy has been charged with 11 armed robberies in the span of several hours. The juvenile taken into custody on Monday, but the robberies occurred over the summer. The teenager was identified as one of the offenders who participated in the robberies in Inglewood, East Garfield, all over the place. <clears throat> then they give all the addresses. The 15-year-old was hit with 11 felony counts, armed with a firearm. No information was provided by the police. Oh, no information again. That must be a right-wing extremist. That's 15. Because uh, the right-wingers are very, very known for armed robberies. Let's continue here. Let me get to this next story if my uh, screen will cooperate. Okay. Car crash. Woman dead. Let's see what happened here. Let's see if this was a crazy MAGA supporter that ran her over. Woman is dead after being hit in the Chicago area. Uh, blah, blah, blah. The woman who, who believed was in her 40s. Um, she was run over by another woman. Oh, wait, we don't know. Was taken to the hospital. The driver of the vehicle stayed on the scene. Major accidents are uh, no information on the driver. Must be a right-wing extremist. Do you see the trend, folks? We continue. Let's see. I'm going to pull up another one. 15-year-old <clears throat> boy. Weekend shootings. One fatally shot. 14 shot. Crime is up nearly 60% this year from 2019, the last time they measured this. And... Uh, Again, I'm supposed to believe that this is a right-wing extremist. Man shot walking his dog on Southside. Southside, an area known to house many right-wing extremists. Police say the 32-year-old victim was walking his dog, shot by two offenders. The shooters fled the scene on foot. No arrests have been reported. No information. Must be right-wing extremists. Now, listen, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that we've got a major problem here in Chicago. Not only are people being killed, people are being hurt. The media isn't curious. The police aren't sharing any, any information. It doesn't seem like they're catching a, a, a bunch of people. And now the mayor's blaming it on right-wing extremists. I don't buy this for a second. The fact that you have a city that's been plagued by crime for, for decades and everybody knows it's, it's gang-related, it's drug-related, turf wars, it's never been right-wing extremists. Right-wing extremists aren't bringing the crime into Chicago. Chicago is allowing the crime to exist because of its policies. J.B. Pritzker and his no-bail policies are making crime even worse than it, than it has been. That's why they're seeing this increase in crime. Everybody knows this. And those who don't know it, listen to this program. We'll tell you. Listen tomorrow when we have uh, the folks from the National Police Association on. They'll tell you. The fact that this mayor can say things like, everybody knows that right-wing extremists target Democrat-run cities and are the, the responsible party for crime is one of the craziest things I've heard. Now, listen, if you tell me 
We've got attacks on Jews all over the place. Well, I'd say, well, maybe you got a neo-Nazi problem, right? Maybe you have a Hamas problem. But that's not what we're talking about here. He's the mayor of Chicago. They don't have a problem with their Jewish citizens being attacked. They don't have a problem with white supremacy or right-wing extremism. They have a problem with failed leaders like him. They have a problem with leftists that refuse to face real problems in the face and handle them. And as a result, their citizens are dying. Anyway, we'll continue uh, the discussion on Kissinger and the rest of everything that's going on tonight when we come back. Until then, the phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, this is night. This is Rich Valdez. If you had one of your aides here pick up the phone and call Beijing and say, Dr. Kissinger would like to speak with President Xi. Would he take your call? There's a good chance that he'd take my call, yes. What about the Russian president, Vladimir Putin? Probably, yes. If a president were to come to you and say, Henry, would you fly to Moscow and talk to Putin? I would be inclined to do it, yes. But I would be an advisor, not an active person. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about reinstating you as Secretary of State for the... <laughs> of course you'd be an advisor. Yes. Is the late uh, Henry Kissinger doing an interview with CBS News? And former Secretary of State Kissinger mentioned that he he would be inclined, right? I believe the way he said, I would be inclined. He said he would be inclined to meet with Putin or with Xi if uh, they had called upon him and, and that he thinks that they would take his phone call. And it, it it sparked my interest in seeing what's going on in Russia lately and in Ukraine. And if you listen to this, and by the way, Kissinger um, at 100 years old passed away. And uh, I mentioned that earlier. I just wanted to reiterate it. And that's why we were playing that audio. Uh, but in Russia, or I should say in Russia, they're mourning the loss of a general. And how did he die? Well, this decorated Russian general was blown up on a landmine in Ukraine, and they believed the landmine was the landmine was possibly planted by the Russians. Major General Vladimir Zavadinsky, maybe Zavadsky, forty-five years old. That's my age. Deputy commander of the Fourteenth Army Corps. Do it. Take two. Security died Tuesday, according to a social media post for the Moscow Higher Combined Arms Command School. 
Zavadsky graduated from military school known as Emru Kremlin in 2000. Zavadsky was not killed in action, but rather died in a mine blast uh, in the rear during the senseless relocation of his unit. That was reported by the Telegram channel, which claims close ties to Russian security services. The uh, investigation is considering the possibility of an explosion on a mine which had been previously placed by a neighboring unit for the purpose of co uh, combating the enemy's sabotage and uh, trying to get the enemy, they got their own guy. Here's a, I'm looking at a picture of Major General Zavadsky. It looks like a, like a young Vladimir Putin, to tell you the truth. 45 years old, poor guy. The mine that uh, killed the general may have been placed by another Russian unit to stop Ukrainian saboteurs. Wow, what a story. Russia's defense ministry has yet to confirm the general's death. During his more than two decades of military service, uh, Zavadsky commanded a motorized rifle battalion and received an award for bravery. He's uh, survived by his wife, Oksana, and their two sons. And uh, Zavadsky is the 12th Russian general to be killed since the start of the war in Ukraine in February of 2022. Isn't that something? Friendly fire, killing generals of all people, right? Oftentimes you hear friendly fire, you think it's within a unit, you know, some guys that are on the ground. Uh, you don't typically believe that it's going to be somebody, you know, right there in your own backyard. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But anyway, that's what's happening in Russia. Uh, plus, let me see, there's a bunch of stuff I want to get to. I don't know if I'll have time to get to everything tonight, uh, but... There is a, uh, a story I wanted to get to, let's see, um, on immigration uh, and how it relates to high-speed chases, which are leading to even more deaths in Texas. And uh, Human Rights Watch, the um, watchdog organization, they found that Operation Lone Star, uh, which is um, the apprehension of, of these guys once they're in the interior of Texas, they're saying that um, it's led to the deaths of 74 people. And I, I don't think their intentions to kill people. Um, seems like another, you know, story by NBC News to just propagate the idea that uh, leave the open borders open and stop chasing these people. You know, have your, your cops stop doing their jobs, abolish ICE and all that type of crazy. So if we have time, we'll, we'll touch on that. I also wanted to um, go into this other the story I mentioned earlier about uh, the potential uh, genetic information of Americans uh, being made vulnerable to China through a company from the Middle East that's doing um, AI work and the CIA's leery of it. So if the CIA's scared of it, I don't know. Maybe we should like it. I don't know. <laughs> we'll figure that out in a minute. But I want to get to that. Uh, plus, there's a, a couple of crazy stories about what a hospital security guard did in Arizona. Oh, man, this is nuts. And uh, this one Ohio lawyer. Oh, boy. We're going to get to those straight ahead as well. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. It's Open Phone America. I'm Rich Valdez.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Amigos, Rich Valdez here with you straight till 1 a.m. And um, we have a bunch of calls that are on the board right now. I uh, still want to cover a few things, but we've got calls from Indiana, San Jose, California, Chicago, Illinois, Evergreen, Montana. Uh, let's go to Sarah, Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Go right ahead, Sarah. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Well, real quick, uh, you had a brother who passed away who was in the military. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, Robert Valdez, United States Marine Corps. He, he died on November 8th. Well, I'm going to tell you, he's probably up in heaven looking down at you with pride because you are fighting a very important battle, and just like he was a fighter and willing to fight on the side of good, you are fighting for this country on a spiritual plane. We have a lot of ills being done by people because they subscribe to a bad ideology or philosophy, and you're doing your best to combat that ideology and the wickedness that accompanies it. So I think he sees you as a fellow soldier, because you really are. Oh, thank you, Sarah. That's kind of you. I appreciate that and the kind words you said about my brother. Uh, I do agree that there's a spiritual battle going on, and I don't think it's new. I think it's since I've been alive, there's been a spiritual battle going on. And uh, I try not to over-spiritualize things in, in our conversations about the news and whatnot. But I think ultimately there's always a spiritual component to everything. And, and there's also practical components and uh, political components. And those are the things that we have to kind of uh, watch out for um, and, and appeal to whoever will listen <laughs> to, to try and make things better and to make things right. Uh, what are your thoughts about what's going on in, uh, in Chicago with the mayor saying this is the fault of right-wing extremists, the crime and the deaths that they're experiencing. What do you think about that? Well, that's absolutely ludicrous. And the fact that they can lie like that, when we all know it's gang warfare, has nothing to do with right-wing extremists of any color. I don't think a right-wing extremist of any background would survive in half those neighborhoods, even, you know, even to pass out placards, let alone commit acts of terror. But the fact that they can lie about this and are so brazen about it should be worrisome because in a tyranny, these people know they're beyond the reach of the voter, really. And that's what we're seeing, a system where these people realize they're really not beholden to the people. They're above them and they're ruling them and they can make up whatever ludicrous lie they want. And uh, they don't fear exposure because they'll have no repercussions. Uh, I, I really think do think right. a lot of these elections are rigged. I, I 100%. Uh, not, not just the elections being rigged, but these people being out of their minds. I just think you've got to be out of your mind to be in, in to, to give a speech in Chicago and say that it's right wing extremists that are responsible for the crime and the death and the chaos that's going on. It's just it's bizarre and it's beyond me for sure. Sarah, thanks for the call. Let's go to Diane who's calling from Chicago. Uh, WGN country. Diane, go right ahead. All right. I had two things to say now in, in agreeing with what Sarah was saying. And uh, here in Chicago, I've been here many years, many, many years. And this we're so overwhelmed with this migrant situation. And when you read about a police report, and there's a local paper that gives police reports here and there every week. And there's now like mugshots of people who have been arrested. Now, this one young Venezuelan fellow, 
was arrested three times, all kinds of shoplifting, and the police have to, and then he gets let go. But he had three different names. So this is getting scary because these people that come in that are criminally bent, they're they're having they they're just going to join the underworld. They're just going to do what they want when they want. In Macy's, I've talked to people who have said they, they you know they'll come and case the joint a little and then walk walk out with sunglasses, and it's materialism and all of that. It's not like I'm saying every single one of them, but those women with the babies and all that are going to be all under the thumb of this big group mentality. Our liberty is individual. And when you look at Chicago or America, and if they like America, well, they like the material part of it, and they also like the beauty of it, right? And they like but everything good was built by people individually, whether it's a Wrigley Building, Tribune Tower, all of the things that were built up was over time by individuals. It's liberty is individual. It's not a big group thing where you just go and say, give me things. But but that's bizarre what the mayor said, what you just said, and that is. Then my other thing is Henry Kissinger sure. just passed away. And Woodward and Bernstein have said that they would reveal the real deep throat when that person passes away. Well, my theory is it, it is Kissinger, even though that Mark felt on his deathbed said he was because Woodward and Bernstein have said that there were several deep throats, okay? So I think the main deep throat was Kissinger, and I think he kind of betrayed Nixon. And that's just my Hmm. theory. Interesting theory. Now, back to what you said about the Venezuelan migrants that are coming to Chicago to wreak havoc and and, uh, have uh, to pillage the community. Um, Not as as best as you know. But individually, I have been to do Do any of these gentlemen that you're referring to um, identify as right-wing extremists. I'm sorry, who you said how many of All them? right, thank you, Diane, for your call. We appreciate it. Looks like we got a little caught up there. Um, let us continue to Jacob calling from San Jose, California on KVTA. Jacob, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Uh, yes, uh, Rich, uh, God bless uh, the Marine, uh, your family member. Uh, Thank you. And uh, regarding Henry Chris Kissinger's passing, I think it's very apropos what's going on today in the Middle East, because Henry Kissinger back in 2012 said Israel will no longer exist in 10 years. That was 20. 20- 22. That was his prophecy. So I believe Henry Kissinger is the prophet. He has some uh, authenticity, and I believe he might be off by a year or two, but I think he's accurate. Well, we'll revisit that in a couple of years. Uh, I mean, as far as I know, it is real is um, still there. They're large and in charge right now. Uh, but we will see how, how uh, much of a prophet uh, Mr. Kissinger was. Jacob, I appreciate the call from San Jose, California, KVTA, California in the building. And um, we are going to continue with the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
head of hair in live late night radio six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Alejandro Nicholas Mayorkas, in his inability to enforce the law, has engaged in a pattern of conduct that is incompatible with his duties as a civil officer of the United States. Alejandro Nicholas Mayorkas, in his failure to uphold the oath he took, has, by his actions, lost the trust of the citizens of the United States to faithfully execute the laws of the United States. Wherefore, Alejandro Nicholas Mayorkas thus warrants impeachment and trial, removal from office, and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States. That's Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, reintroducing the privilege motion to impeach Homeland Se- uh, Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and now forcing the leadership to bring the motion up for a vote sometime before the end of this week. The effort comes, obviously, just after she tried to do this, and the House voted uh, to table that motion with eight Republicans um, voting against it. And um, I'm curious to see what happens here. Uh, There's still a massive influx of illegal immigration. Fentanyl keeps pouring across the border. And the motion was shot down by those eight Republicans joining all of the Democrats and opposing the measure. And now we, uh, we have the same plan of attack. The question is, will we have a different outcome? Now, according to the Washington Examiner, the, the eight Republicans that voted with Democrats to protect Mayorkas's job and send the articles of impeachment back to the committee, uh, they found out from their districts that they made the wrong move, is what Marjorie Taylor Greene said. She continued to say, uh, the eight Republicans that voted with Democrats claimed that they wanted it to follow proper House procedure and go through the committee. She says, but her articles of impeachment have been sitting in committee for over six months. And they've basically been sitting there collecting dust without being picked up by anyone. Green says she hasn't spoken to those eight Republicans who voted against her initial resolution. But she believes based on phone calls that her office has received that the lawmakers heard from their own constituents while they were home for Thanksgiving break, expressing frustration at their opposition of the bill, uh, at the measure. So um, Green also said that she was very frustrated at how Speaker Mike Johnson um, was not really uh, supporting her efforts to impeach Mayorkas since he's gotten into um, the uh, position of Speaker. So we will see how that turns out. Uh, let's go back to the phones. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, let's check in with our buddy Frank in Evergreen, Montana on KOFI. Frank, how are you, sir? Fine. Yeah, Rich, I uh, wanted to talk about China's aluminum power that they have on the world economy. They've got... sure. Aluminum is more costly to produce per per bullion, uh, per an ingot, than gold. It's 
but it takes a lot of of money to produce that aluminum, and the only way to produce that, enough power is through hydroelectric power from dams that are subsidized by the government or, or whatever. And uh, China's got several hundred of these aluminum plants and several hundred hydroelectric dams. But uh, if they really wanted to, you know, have an economic war, they could set the price of an aluminum can at $5 or whatever and drive us nuts. But we, we couldn't do anything about it. Well, you know, Frank, I think you, you, you bring up a point. I, I think there were points in history where clearly it was more expensive uh, to, to mine uh, for aluminum than, than gold. Um, I don't know that, that we're there anymore, but uh, the point that you make with, with these machines and, and the hydroelectric power and whatnot, none of it is solar, right? None of it is wind turbines. None of it is the, the green stuff that the, the Chinese's plan for net zero emissions would ever implement, which is why they canceled and bailed out of their net zero emissions plan. And uh, we, the Americans, are still part of the plan that they made that they now say is unsustainable, right? <laughs> we can't afford to stay part of the plan because we need fossil fuels. So I, I just think that the whole thing is, is pretty crazy. Now, I, w- I wanted to also ask you about uh, what you just heard um, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia discussing her um, call for the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary. Do you think that this impeachment of Secretary Mayorkas will gain some momentum? I hope so. But uh, I, I'd like to see them all impeached myself. Everyone. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> Throw them all out. Excellent, excellent perspective on that one. I, I totally agree. Frank in Evergreen, Montana on KOFI. Folks, uh, we're going to continue with the rest of your calls and our wrap up straight ahead. Our phone number 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. is America at Night with Rich Valdez. So recently we had uh, John Tobacco on the program. He's the host uh, from Newsmax TV that uh, anchors the show Wise Guys. And uh, as you may have recalled, uh, Tobacco is um, an American of Italian descent that has a very thick Staten Island, New York accent. And his show is broadcast from Sparks Steakhouse. Now, you might remember that for making headlines back in the 80s when Paul Castellano was killed right outside of Sparks Steakhouse. Well, I'm going to be on um, that show this weekend. If you want to check it out on Newsmax, Newsmax Plus, uh, make sure you check it out. But apart from the shameless plug, what I was really wanting to talk about here as a setup was how an aging Genovese mobster punched a New York City steakhouse owner 
for calling him a washed-up Italian, not because of any extortion plot. Listen to this. So this aging, uh, reputed gangster uh, accused of socking a Manhattan steakhouse owner as part of uh, an extortion plot didn't do it to collect on any gambling debt, but because the victim called him a washed-up Italian with no balls, quote, unquote. His lawyer claimed at the start of the trial earlier today. Anthony Romanello, 86 years old and alleged capo in the Genovese crime family, was merely defending his honor after restaurateur Shakiri Bruno Semelage, uh, I guess that would be Semelai, um, insulted him. And uh, he said he punches like a girl anyway. <laughs> I love that. He didn't punch Bruno to collect a, thing, a gambling debt, McMahon said during his statements. Bruno told him that he was a washed-up Italian that had no balls and that he was nothing. He punched him. The 86-year-old guy sitting there said he punched him because Bruno insulted him to his face. Genevieve soldier Christopher Celso uh, is also on trial for two counts of extortion after allegedly being enlisted by a Queens bookie and a wannabe actor to collect an $86,000 gambling debt by two of uh, Salamai's relatives. So there is a plot here. Very funny. It's a picture of the old-timer. Looks pretty tough. Um, taking the stand on Wednesday, Mr. Salamai uh, described how Mr. Romanello paid him a visit at his since-shuttered uh, Lincoln Square restaurant and flew into a rage after Mr. Selamai told him he was only willing to pay the part of the debt owed by his nephew and not his nephew's brother-in-law. Romanelli kept saying, I'd like to punch you. <laughs> he said, you have no guts to punch me, Selamai recounted to the jury. He said a few seconds later, he punched me. <laughs> Prosecutors played the video of the right-handed jab that connected with uh, Selamai's jaw for the jurors to see during the testimony. After getting slugged, Semelai told Romanello that there were security cameras in the establishment prompting the alleged longtime mafioso to hightail it out of there with his crew. Uh, Selemai filed a police report that same night, but ended up retracting it within 24 hours because his brother had relayed a threatening message from Celso that it would be a bad idea to go through with the complaint if he testified. Mm-hmm. This gets better and better. And in a written statement with the NYPD, Mr. Salami says that he uh, had a few drinks with Romanello during the confrontation and that the two of them had been equated for 30 years. So it was a, a misunderstanding between me and him, I think. I didn't want to do that, Salami wrote. But on the stand, Mr. Semelai said that the reaction was not true. I was afraid this mafia guy was going to hurt me. My nephew, he testified. And uh, during the cross-examination from McMahon, uh, jurors were asked to read a transcript of the voicemail left, and it was extremely vulgar, telling him to suck this and do that, mother effer. Wow, this old man's out of control. Anyway, folks, that's it for me tonight. Like always, take care. Hasta mañana, hasta la próxima, and God bless America. I'm Rich Valdez.
John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're gonna pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.